been a uh, good morning of worship. Have you enjoyed it? I have too. I like the uh, the spirit that is among us this morning. Um, appreciated Jacob's call to worship and his uh, blessing of the backpacks and prayers for his own sanity and for the prayers of others. And so he just really did a good job with that. Be sure, uh, be sure you tell him that uh, when you see him, that he did a really good job. Uh, but it was good. And it's been a good day so far. And uh, uh, had a really good couple of Sundays together, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, we're in our fifth week of God of the City. God of this city specifically, the city of, uh, of Thomasville, but not just Thomasville. We're thinking of surrounding cities as well. God is the God of Tallahassee. God is the God of Cairo. And everywhere in between, Valdosta, Moultrie, Bainbridge, all of these other places, we believe that God is the God of this city. And the, the bottom line or the premise that we're sort of working off of throughout this series is that we are God's people doing God things in God's cities. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's what our aim is. That's what we should be doing, right? And so this is what we're, we're trying to do uh, each week, and this is what we've looked at the, the last four weeks. And so, and we're going to continue to talk about that today. And today will be a little bit different because I'm coming off uh, an unusual week. It was a very good week, but it was unusual in that I was immersed into the city and the culture of South Atlanta and uh, just sort of the surrounding areas in Atlanta all of last week for, you know, for it was a you know, part of a, a course that I'm taking. And so what I want to do today is I just want to share with you some of those experiences. Uh, some of the ways that the people and the residents of the city of Atlanta are showing that God is the God of the city. And so I'm going to talk about the historic area of South Atlanta in just a few minutes. Have you ever been there? Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really neat place. It's got a lot of history there. If you've never been, I'd encourage you to go. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Tucker, Georgia this week, which is just, you know, five or ten minutes outside of the city, kind of on the, just a little bit to the north of it. I spent a lot of time in Clarkston, Georgia this week, which is just kind of right in that area, and I'll talk specifically about Clarkston and, 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 and the implications of Clarkston in just a few minutes. But it was really amazing, and I, I posted about it at, at some point in this week as I sat there at, at one place in particular, and I just looked around, and I was surrounded by a sea of God's image bearers. And the awesome part of that was is that most of them did not look like me. You know what I'm saying? And that was just a beautiful thing to see all of these people. Okay, and there were uh, people that I met that were um, from, the, from, from the Congo. Uh, there were Burmese people. Uh, there was a lady there from uh, Bhutan. 
um, uh, there were Muslims, there were Indians, there were so many nationalities of people that were represented that I had the chance to either sort of just be in a, an area with or in some sense have conversations with and, and some exchanges with. And it was just a really beautiful thing and a really powerful thing to see beyond my own context, to see that God is everywhere and that God is the author of good things and that God has put his image in all people. You know, not just Christian people. All people are created in his image. Yeah. All people are created in the, in the image of God. And so it was just, it was just a, a very moving and a very powerful uh, week for me. Now then, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm going to talk about four places that I went of probably 10 or 15 and I'm still trying to process everything that we talked about and everything that we saw and all of the people that we visited with because it was just, you know, they, they call those things intensive courses for a reason because it was intense. I mean, it was every day, you know, leaving hotel at 7.30, returning at about 8.30. I mean, just all day long. There was a couple of breaks here and there. But it was just really, really powerful um, for, for me and my, and my classmates. So I want to tell you just a little bit about this week, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Here is, uh, here's my class, uh, my, my cohort. Uh, this is the, the group that this time next year we should all have received our Master of Divinity degrees. We started the, the, the program together. Uh, it's not like just people come in and come out. You know, we're doing this as a group, which has been really great because we know each other really well. We kind of know the backstory uh, and a lot of these things. Here is uh, up here just over my shoulder. This is Dr. Leonard Allen. He is the dean of the College of Bible and Ministry, and he felt it was important to be along with us through this uh, course. You'll see our friend uh, Donnie Mack there in the purple shirt over on the right. And uh, just a, a really, really good week. You see Jovan just kind of standing back there over his, over his shoulder. But it was a, a really, really good week. Now, before we go further, here's a, a question that I want you to consider. And it comes from Luke chapter 10. And this is it right here. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. And it's just one question. And it is a very simple question that was posed to Jesus by a guy really kind of trying to justify himself. And, and what he was about. And he just, he just asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And I think that's a very important question. And I think that it has a lot of implications. Uh, there are a lot of implications to that question as we consider who our neighbors are. And I mean, when we say neighbor, we think, you know, the people that live next door to us. And yes, they are our neighbors, but maybe an, an additional question or thought from this, an extension, is are there other people that don't live next to me that are also my neighbors? And I think the answer is yes. And so as we're thinking about God of this city, as we're thinking about what it means to do this in the place where we live, that we're God's people doing God things in God's cities, then I think that means that we need to recognize that the people in the cities we live, and in specifically the communities that we live in our cities, 
Those are our neighbors. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? That is our neighbors. But it's not, and I don't think it's just limited to those that are just right, right around us. I think the broader area as well uh, makes up our neighbors. So there was a, a book that was given to me a few years ago by uh, someone here, actually, uh, written by a guy named uh, Dr. Bob Lupton. And the book is called Toxic Charity. And he has spent 40 years in Atlanta working and serving the, the urban poor uh, in Atlanta. And he's just done a, a lot of work. And, of course, he's come to realize that a lot of, of charity work does not help people. It doesn't improve. It doesn't help to develop people. But it creates dependency. And it sort of perpetuates poverty. And so he and a lot of his people have done and are doing some really good work to try to improve lives, to improve communities, to help people develop and, and, and come out of their station in life instead of just perpetuating it and keeping people in that. So they've done some really good stuff. And so he founded an organization that is called FCS, uh, which stands for Focused Community Strategies. And so that's where we began our, our week, uh, or at least we began on, on Tuesday morning there. Uh, one of the, the professors for, my, uh, for this class that I took, he's, he is not a, he's sort of an adjunct, and so he works there at FCS there in Atlanta. And so he was our host, and he and, and his wife were the ones that, that took us around to these, uh, to these various places. And so what I want to share with you is just some of the, the things that they do. So here are the FCS strategies. The first is neighboring. And this is about valuing local living. Believing proximity and diversity allow for mutual, mutually transformative relationships. Okay, and I think, that's, I think that's very important. As a matter of fact, if I was going to say what the biggest takeaway for me was during the week it's this idea of neighboring that we live in proximity to our neighbors okay and that really the best way is not to to love people with hooks which i am definitely against i do not want to love anybody with hooks okay i want to just love people because we're supposed to love people you know and i want i think we all should do that can we Get a, oh yeah, amen, or something. Good, 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 good. And so I, that, that's what made this so important, is that what I think is, is really conceptual for us to grasp is that we must learn to neighbor better. You know, it's easy, and I'm guilty of this, it's easy to just pull in my driveway and go from my driveway straight into my house and not come out until I have to go get in my car and go somewhere else, right? And it's easy to not, I mean, even though I live in close proximity to people, it's easy to ignore or overlook them, right? You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that does this? Good, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. But this is one of their, this is one of their, their sort of their, their core strategies, their core values is that neighboring, this is valuing Living, this is valuing, believing, that living in proximity. Not only living in proximity, but living in diversity with people around, the, around you. 
this allows for mutually transformative relationships. And so that's what the, the staff at FCS are, are trying to do. The next thing is, is dignity. And this one is very, very important. This is valuing gifts and abilities of neighbors. Believing as bearers of the image of God, they have an inherent capacity and are engaging as full participants in bringing about the flourishing of the neighborhood. Okay, and this is, I, I think what this is about is it's not groups of people coming in and just trying to fix things, but it's neighboring with people and groups working together and realizing, hey, it's not about outside sources just coming in and, and, and fixing things and not taking the pulse of the community or anything like that. It's about saying, okay, who is in the neighborhood? Who is in these communities and what are their strengths? And saying, hey, look, you tell us what is the best thing that can happen around here? And it's tapping into local leaders within our local communities and saying, what's the best way to, to, to do this? And how can we serve you? And is, is keeping a pulse in the community. So that's another one. And, and doing that keeps from, from taking away dignity. Have you ever felt like you helped somebody, but it cost that person their dignity? Because I have. Okay? And I've had to be helped before, and it cost me some dignity. You know what I'm saying? That is what toxic charity is. When you help somebody, but it robs them of their, of their dignity. And that's what we want to be, be aware of. And then the third thing there is development. This is valuing sustainable strategies, believing that lasting impact requires addressing structural, systemic, and economic barriers to flourishing. And that's that's getting a little bit more technical, but that is looking at what the systemic problems are that are, are causing poverty and, and, and things like this. And it's about thinking uh, and, and brainstorming and putting into play the way that you can bring about development. And so that's one of the things that, that FCS does is they, they try to develop neighborhoods. And so I think to date they've worked with five or six different communities throughout the Atlanta area, and it is people who live there in the community that are neighboring and doing all these things and trying to add dignity, and, and they're, they're helping to bring about development. They're helping with affordable housing. They are trying to get a hold of properties before, you know, people outside developers can come in and, and swoop them up at, 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 at bottom, you know, no, hardly any cost at all. So their job is to try to develop some of this housing and to make it affordable to people who are, are, are homeless or people that are just stuck in a rent system or stuck in a, in, a, in a public housing. And so they're sort of helping them to try to work out of that. And they do micro loans and things like this where the uh, interest rates are, are, are and, and the, the payments are very manageable. It's just really impressive to walk the streets of South Atlanta and just see them point out some, some different places and to see the, the homes. And if you've ever or never been to that historic part of Atlanta, there are just really some beautiful, beautiful homes there. And some, you know, of course, they fell into neglect, and you know how those things go. And they, so they, these guys are, are trying to help bring these things back to life and help the people who live there live in these places, and it's just a really powerful thing. Now then, I would encourage you to go and, and check out their website because 
I'm giving you just the 30,000-foot view of what they do and just, uh, just a fingernail's worth, and, I, and I'm sure I'm not even getting everything exactly right. I believe it's fcfmission.org, uh, and you can go and check that out, and, and you can see some of the great things that Bob Lupton and Sean Duncan and, and, and some of those people are, are doing there, and it's been really, really cool. A couple of those development things are the Carver, uh, Carver Neighborhood market and then community grounds coffee and this is right there it is owned by uh, by fcs the buildings are kind of connected there but what carver market is is it is a just a, a small supermarket okay walmart's Publix, any of those big chains will not go into that area okay they're they just you know the economic studies and all of these things they just think that it's not worth the investment so what happens is you have a food desert familiar with what a food desert is it just basically means there's no access to healthy food there's no access to fresh vegetables there's no access to to fresh fruits and, and produce and those kinds of things so what what do we end up doing we end up going to the dollar menu somewhere you know and we fill up on all kinds of stuff that dollar menus have to offer because that's, you know, that is what is available. And so the Carver Market is developed by the community leaders there. It is staffed and run. And the, the same thing with Community Grounds Coffee is it's sort of, they offer it as a, uh, they call it sort of a third space where they can go and the, it can kind of become a hub where people can hang out and spend time. And people, uh, especially in that South Atlanta area where so many people are struggling, they now have access to healthier options, okay? And so that's help. But not only that, you don't just have this outside group that's come in and run it. It is run by the, the members, the, the, the residents of the South Atlanta area. And it's just really cool to, to see that kind of in motion and to see how that's provided what you call lift uh, to, to a neighborhood. And it's just very encouraging. And so here's some things about the Carver Market. It says, uh, they say, our mission is not to diagnose a food desert, but to create a food oasis. We provide access to food, jobs, and relationship for the patrons of South Atlanta and the surrounding neighborhoods. We are not a large grocery chain. We are a small, intimate food market with the intention and goal of connecting our neighbors back to food and thus back to community. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that a powerful statement? That's a powerful vision, is that not? And, you know, that's what they did. They determined this was the greatest need in the South Atlanta area, and so this is, this is what they did. It goes on to say that we are creating a connection between local consumers and local producers. Carver Neighborhood Market strives to be the vehicle that may connect, quite literally, the fruit of urban farms to the tables of undersourced under-resourced neighborhoods. And so you just sort of see how it's not just, hey, take everything, here's what you need. It's you see the people developing. And you see good things that are happening there in that neighborhood. And it's just really, really amazing to see that work. And then there's Community Grounds Coffee. It says, established in 2009, Community Grounds exists to provide an amazing cup of coffee in an and it is really good, by the way, uh, in an atmosphere that stimulates conversation, inspires creativity, encourages unlikely connections, and builds lasting community. 
Community Grounds is owned and operated by FCS, Focus Community Strategies. It's a, a 501c3 uh, uh, nonprofit. And so, uh, again, it's sort of the, the, the same idea. The local people, the, the residents, they kind of run that thing and staff it. And so it was just really, really awesome to see that. Well, so then the next day, or maybe it was the same day, I can't remember because it all just sort of runs together, we went to Clarkston, Georgia. Are you familiar with Clarkston? Anybody have any idea kind of what, what the deal is with Clarkston? Anybody ever been to Clarkston? Just kind of just the north side? Yeah. Um, Clarkston is very small. I mean, it is really, really small, and it is just right there on the outskirts of Atlanta. And it is what it is known for is being um, the most ethnically diverse square mile in America. And you think, no way. There's no way. And then you go to Clarkston and you're like, yes way. <laughs> yes, yes it is. In Clarkston, there are over 40 nationalities represented. There are over 60 languages that are spoken in, in Clarkston. And what happened is when resettlement began to happen in the 80s, Clarkston was one of the cities that was chosen. Uh, now then, I think the reasons why are, you know, I think if I remember correctly, the mayor of the city who we had an opportunity to, to hear from, he said there was, you know, there was available housing that was there where people had not been able to maintain their house or they had moved out of the city and it was just sitting empty and so there was available housing. You had mass transit kind of right there. It was close to the airport, you know, it was close to kind of everything else, but it was also considered a walkable community, if you know what I mean, where you can get to everything you need, markets and things like that, just by, by walking. And so that's why, but it has continued to be sort of this, this, re, uh, this resettlement city. And so, you know, we're sitting there on, on Tuesday morning, and I'm, that's where I'm looking around, and I'm just sort of seeing the sea of humanity really just unfold all around me. And so Tuesday morning, we met at a place called Refuge Coffee that you see on the screen, and I'm, I'm representing Refuge Coffee this morning. That's where I got this, this T-shirt. And it is run by, guess who? Refugees. Yes, it is run by the refugees there in the in the city of Clarkston. And, you know, that money goes to, to help them. And so what they do, and I'm, I'll have some notes on this in a minute, is that they are, you know, they're providing a service, but it also helps to provide a livable wage to the people and the, the, the refugees that work there. Uh, and so it's kind of helping. It's adding to the, the development of that. And so we had the opportunity to, uh, to hear from uh, um, uh, Bill and Kitty, Murray, not, you know, Bill Murray of, you know, SNL fame, but, you know, same name. But we had an opportunity to hear from them who, you know, they had this, this vision of, of starting a ministry, and they moved to Clarkston, and they were, she was really ready to go, and she said, but Bill wisely said, you know, for six months to a year, we don't need to do anything. We just need to practice neighboring, you know, get to know people, develop trust begin to build relationships and so that's that's what they did by the way if you will remember when we started doing outside the walls that was our beginning strategy 
not to go in with hooks, but to go and just neighbor and develop relationships. And I still think that's very, very important to us. And so we got to hear from her, and we got to hear from a man from the, from the Congo, and he was just so grateful that we were there and that we were you know, drinking his coffee, which was really rich and just really, really good. Um, and she, she and also the, the mayor of Clarkston, um, Ted Terry, just shared several things with us. Um, Georgia is the sixth largest resettlement state in the United States. Did you know that? I had no idea until this week that it was that. Um, there's a, a thrift town store that's there, and it's, uh, it's not just a coat closet. It's, it's a thrift store, which is helpful, and that keeps dignity because people go in there and they choose what they want, and they, they pay a little bit for what they want, and they get to purchase things, you know, for themselves. And, you know, an, an owner, and, and he's described as a just kind of a good old boy who grew up there, always lived there, just this, this white guy that just lived in Clarkston his whole life. He describes Clarkston as this. He said, the city of Clarkston was going down until all these people arrived. And they brought life and resurgence into, into this city. Also found out that 1% of refugees, only 1% of refugees are resettled each year. There are 23 million around the world that are waiting. There are only 17 countries around the world that are willing to accept uh, refugees. And we met a lady from Bhutan. Her name was Esther. And she had escaped just really some horrible stuff. You know, a lot of genocide going on in her country, those kinds of things. She had escaped from Bhutan. Uh, and, and, and I wrote down what she said. She says, America is still the greatest welcoming nation in the world. Um, and I thought that, was a, that, that spoke powerfully of, of us, you know, bring us your tired, bring us your, you know, all of these, these things. But it was just really powerful to, to see these places and to see beyond ourselves. I think that's very important. That we must, as God's people, see beyond the end of our nose or maybe see beyond the walls of our own houses. Does that make sense? And this is what neighboring is. And so here's some things about uh, Refuge Coffee. It says, we believe, this is their vision, we believe in the power of welcome. And we, man, I felt, felt so welcomed by the residents. That they were just so warm, so welcoming, so glad for us to be there. We dream of a vibrant, resettled refuge community in Clarkston, Georgia, where our new neighbors are embraced and given opportunities to thrive through the business of hospitality through coffee. Their mission is this, to re, uh, they relentlessly pursue our goal to provide employment and job training opportunities to resettled refugees, to create a unique, welcoming gathering place in Clarkston, and to tell a more beautiful refugee story to Atlanta. And then finally, their values, affirmation, dignity, service, culturally relevant excellence. Um, Somebody said, one of the, the, the people there who does the hiring, he says, you know, a lot of people are, are reluctant to, to hire refugees. And if we're honest, we say, yeah, okay, we, we get that, we understand it. 
But he says, you need to think about this. Of resettled people, of the resettled people, the refugees that we have encountered, they have been more thoroughly checked out than we ever have been our entire lives. It's part of that, that vetting process. So he says, it's okay. It's okay. She says, fear is, and this is Kitty Murray, she says, fear is reasonable. Love anyway. Isn't that a powerful statement? Yes. Praise God. Yes. Fear is reasonable. And I understand fear as you understand fear. But we are to, are we supposed to stop at fear? We're supposed to love as Christ loved. Christ gave himself up. God is love. Jesus is love. So it's just really just a, just a, a beautiful thing to be there in, uh, in Clarkston. Well, from there, we went to, and I can't, again, I don't remember the days, but we went to the, uh, the King Center just outside, uh, just in Atlanta, uh, the, the Martin Luther King Center. Anybody ever visited there? If you have, just raise your hand. That was my first time, and I grew up in that area, okay, just, just north of there, okay? And there's one room in the King Center, it's called the Dream Room, and it's an acronym that I forgot to pay attention to, so I don't remember what it means. But you go in there and you realize it's, it's um, dedicated to Martin Luther King, but it's also dedicated to Jimmy Carter, and just for, you know, for a lot of their humanitarian effort and work and, and, and all of that stuff. And then I had a, a realization that when I was in, in school, in elementary school, I remember, and I want to say this is probably about third grade, I remember taking a field trip down to the the Jimmy Carter uh, Museum and library and all of that stuff. And I remember thinking, well, okay, so these are, and they're really pretty close together, but I never went to the King's Center. I thought, oh, well, it's, you know, it probably was, became a historical site later. I think it actually was a historical site before the Carter Center was, but yet we never went there. But it was really just incredible to go there and to just read about all of the different things that took place in Martin Luther King's life. To see the house where he was born. You know, it is still there and it's part of the, that preserve. Okay, to go in the museum and to just see the timeline of events unfold and to read pieces of the speech. And then to go into Ebenezer Baptist Church where his maternal grandfather where his father and he himself, and then later his brother, preached. And it's been preserved back to, you know, 1960s when he was preaching there. And you go in and you sit down and they have his sermons playing over the, over the loudspeaker. And it, yes, it was just, it was sort of awe-inspiring to sit there and hear Martin Luther King preaching on love of God and the love of Jesus and that we are as, as mankind, all should be experiencing that great love. And so it was just really, really powerful. Hey, and it's free. Okay? Take your kids there. Go there yourself. It was just really, really awesome. Uh, we also went to the Atlanta Mission. And the Atlanta Mission was was. They've sort of had a paradigm shift, and it was just, you know, they'd have five or six, seven, eight hundred people lined up waiting on beds each night. 
and it was just sort of first come, first serve, and then you come in, you get your bed, and you'd be out the next morning. And they realized that wasn't doing a lot of good. I mean, it was helping a little bit, but it wasn't doing, it wasn't holistic in what they were doing. And so they've had a paradigm shift in the way that they minister now. And, and the basic deal is, and I really want you to go on their website because I will not explain this adequately, but it's if you're there and you get a bed, you, you, that's your bed until you choose not to stay in that bed. Um, and then, you know, they have these levels, and you can sort of just, that's it, just the, the bed, but then you can choose other areas where you go through and you're receiving this kind of help and training and, and job skills and resume writing, and then I think they do some help with placement, and, and they might, I believe it's even help trying to find people affordable housing and those kinds of things. And so it's not just, here, here's a bed, here's food for the night, it's, it's developing people. Does that make sense? And that's, I think that's very, very important. And there was a game-changer moment for me when I was there. Um, you may or may not know this, but I deal with 99% of the benevolent cases here. Uh, my cell phone is listed as the church phone number. Okay, so it's there, and so I get all kinds of calls. And in the last several months, there is a high, high volume of these calls. And, you know, we've, we've been able to, to, to help some people. We've, there's some people we've just had to say, no, sorry, we can't, we just don't have it. And so, you know, trying to figure out how to vet some of those things has been sort of challenging and tricky, and we're still trying to figure it out. And sometimes we do really good with it, and sometimes we don't. And when I say we, I mean a lot of that is me, because I'm just trying to, to figure it out, and I'm still trying to. But a few weeks ago, we had a gentleman show up here who was homeless. He was trying to get to Carabelle, Florida. He was staying at the men's shelter in Tallahassee, which is massive if you've never seen it. I mean, it is tremendous big. And so he showed up here, and he's trying to get there, and he said, you know, it's, the shelter is, you know, it's, it's all right. He says, but what, he goes, but I've, he says, I've been there three days and I've had no sleep for three days. Because you can't go to sleep because as soon as you do, people steal all your stuff. And he'd had all of his stuff stolen, you know. He had just a little bit. He had the clothes on his back. Well, he came here and I, Bethany finally threatened me about cleaning out my closet. So I had done so and I had some stuff, just shirts and stuff. And so I let him just get some of those, and uh, it happened again the next night. Stuff got stolen again. This was a several-day process of, of us trying to, to help him get to where he needed to be. And, uh, he had found a ride, and so he came. He was here in town, and the guy came here because we were helping with gas, and uh, there was some little altercation that happened between the gas station and the church building, and I get out, and the little guy is like, hey, pastor, I don't think I can take this guy. There's some stuff that's gone down. And then there's an argument that's taking place right out here, and it's getting heated, and the words are getting exchanged, and the guy we're helping is big, and the guy who was driving was tiny, and I'm thinking this is not going well. And then it went worse, where the little guy goes, I got something for you, big boy, and goes to his car to get a weapon. And I was like... This went bad. 
And I'm standing between them. And I'm going, okay, man, why don't you just get in your car and go, and I'll take care of this. <laughs> so he did, and he went. This guy, he had to go back down to the mission. He was not happy about it because he was going to stay again. His stuff was going to get stolen. That's exactly what happened. The next day, we finally were able to get him out of town. But even in getting out of town, the person who was taking him took advantage of him. So it's just, just this horrible thing. But the deal was, and this is what I think Atlanta Mission is doing that was really, really sort of a game changer for me, is that in the way they changed their, their way of doing things, it, they've added in storage. And I thought, well, that's just simple. But think about what a game changer that might be for somebody in that situation where they've chosen their bed, they can store their stuff, it's locked up, nobody can get at it, and they're able to just, just relax and recover. And, and so I thought that was just really, really powerful. And they do a lot of really good stuff in helping to develop people. And I had this great like, document that they gave me, and I had no idea where it is. So I'm sort of going off the top of my head. So go to their website and just kind of see some of the services. And it's just not just men, it's women and children. I think they've got one, uh, they've got a large one for women, I think, up in Athens. Um, so you might, I think it's called Shepherd Center or something like that. And so it's just really, uh, it was cool to, uh, to see what they do. But this is what they say about their mission. Atlanta Mission works to end homelessness one person at a time via a holistic approach, addressing the physical, emotional, and the spiritual needs of our guests we have five facilities, each one serving the needs of different segments of the homeless population. We serve men, women, and children who have lost jobs, faced eviction, been abused, been abused, battled addictions, fought mental illness, and much more. God cares about the whole person, and so do we. Isn't that a good statement? Caring about the whole person. Um, and a lot of times we just care about one specific thing, and I don't think we do that intentionally. But I think we're just sort of set up to do that at times. And so what they're trying to do is just rethink how we can not just be crisis care, but how can we do holistic care and develop the person and help the person. And so uh, you can imagine I have all kinds of just thoughts and ideas that are going off sparking in my head, which we'll see what happens with that. But it was just... Um, it was a really, really powerful week. There's much more to what happened than what I'm even describing. So many more people. You know, we went to this one place. It was a refugee sewing shop or something. They create jewelry, and uh, a lot of them take the money that they get, and they're sending it back home to their families. Uh, you'll notice a necklace that Bethany is wearing this morning. Would you stand up and just turn? I, I promise I won't make you talk. But show them that necklace. Uh, it was handmade by a lady from Bhutan who escaped genocide in Bhutan. Uh, and so she makes these handcrafted things and sells them. And it was like, I mean, I think I paid like 20 bucks for that. Not much at all, but it goes to her family, and she's sending that money back to, uh, back to her family. Now then, these are all coming in contact and in play with FCS and a lot of these other things, uh, community gardens that spots are leased out, and there's just so many other things 
But I think the, the, the biggest thing for me and the biggest, the biggest takeaway is this idea of, of neighboring, um, of living with and being with people, just, just loving people for, for, for who they are. Uh, and it's sometimes, as I said earlier, it's easy to lose sight of that. But this guy asked Jesus, you know, who, who is my neighbor? Our neighbors are the people that, that we are in proximity with, that we live close to, that we work with, that our children go to, go to school with, okay? Of course, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and he poses the question at the end, well, who is my neighbor? And of course, it's the one who was compassionate and showed mercy and, and, and loved the guy who was, was, was beaten up. And so if I was going to give a, a, a takeaway for us, it's just this idea of being awake and aware of the people that are around us, of our neighbors. And so our, our city connection, is really, it's very simple. It kind of comes from the, the greatest command. And it's just this, love your neighbors as you love yourselves. You know what I'm saying? And those are just, that's the words of Jesus, just plain and simple. Yeah, love is, uh, you know, as, as, as Kitty Murray said, uh, fear is reasonable. Love anyway. You know, and, and you know as well as I do that that stuff doesn't always go well. Okay? And it doesn't. It doesn't. Come and take some of these benevolence calls. I'll be glad to farm some of those out. And you'll see that it doesn't always go well. Um, and then I want you to be praying for us as we try to think through some better ways to holistically lift people and love people. And then think about that in your own life where you live, where you work, where your kids go to school. How can you love people better? How can you love people as you love yourself? Love people the way Jesus loves us. Uh, I think that's an important challenge for us. I think it's a steep challenge for us. But I think it's one that is worth undertaking. You with me? Let's pray together.